audio check. Now, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Everything Pharmacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to RX Radio. I am your host, Dr. Richard Waith, and today I have an awesome episode with you. I have a, a good buddy of mine and pro race car driver, Dion Vodmolke. Hey, thanks for having me on, Doctor. Nice to talk with you again. It's been a little while. Hey, man, it, it has been it has been quite some time. I am super excited to have you on here, though, because we have an interesting topic today. We are, I don't know what I'm going to title the, the episode yet, but it's <laughs> going to be something along the lines of a pharmacist and a race car driver walk into a bar. I like it. I think that's <laughs> the perfect title right there. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really wanted to, you know, see how, how, in what ways our, our careers and our professions collide or what similarities, what pain points that, you know, we might have that's similar and, uh, and, and jump right into that. But, but before we go there, let's, uh, let's talk about you. Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I've been a professional race car driver for 10 years now. I've uh, been really lucky enough to win a lot of major races here in the U.S., the Rolex at Daytona 24-hour, the Sebring 12-hour twice, which are kind of our Super Bowl, you could say it. Um, so it's just uh, been a really special, unique journey over the years and something that was never meant to become a professional when I started, just kind of worked your way up the ladder and now I find myself here today. So definitely it's a, it's a really fun journey. And what kid doesn't want to grow up to be a race car driver, right? So I, I count myself very, very lucky. Yeah, like I'm still trying to be one. So one day, so. <laughs> There's still plenty of time, plenty of time. <laughs> I've had a few doctors that were teammates of mine. So yeah. look out for it in the future. <laughs> that's awesome. There we go. Uh, yeah. Well, I, that's actually another question too. I guess we, we can go into, um, is there ways that people that you know did not grow up driving and, you know, does not possibly have, you know, uh, millions of dollars laying around to, to kind of, you know, start their own thing. What is the, what is the, like the, I know it, and I know it would be one of the biggest uphill battles of life, but what would be the avenues that if someone wanted to get into that, what would be the avenues that they would, that they would go? So, you know, I would ask them what they, what they wanted to achieve and what their goals would be. So if you wanted to do it, let's say for fun and like yeah. you didn't want to create a career out of it, there's actually some really cool little racing series that are full of just diehard people that it still is somewhat expensive. It's all relative, yeah. relative to pro racing. It's extremely cheap, but they have something called chunk car, the 24 hour lemons where the car has to cost less than $500 excluding seat belts and brakes, some safety equipment. And there's different classes, and it's all just grassroots, not professional drivers. People have jobs at home that go to racetracks all across the country. They mechanic on the car themselves, and they have, you know, 24-hour races, 12-hour races, and those guys are just there for the fun of it. You know, just get your guys together. Go, you know, drive a race car. The cars aren't extremely fast, but who the hell cares? You're driving <laughs> flat out around a racetrack. So it's still awesome there's so many things like that and it's one of my goals is to try to get people to realize that there's all these avenues out there to actually go do this stuff because even race fans that come to the racetrack that love what we do yeah. have no clue you can do that that is crazy like i had yeah. no idea that those types of things existed you know that that was actually organized you know that's oh yeah that's they have crazy. race events all across the country all the time i actually did one of those with a teammate of mine uh, we went and joined a t uh like a small team and there was they 
worked on the car themselves. Two of the guys are drivers themselves. We went and just drove for free, and it was like a 1992 Ford Mustang. There was a truck where they actually mounted the whole truck on the other end of the chassis so it looked like it was driving backwards there's <laughs> beetles there's you know there's bmw e92s from back in the day yeah. there's everything there it's that's awesome crazy that's yeah. crazy cool to hear well hopefully you know if someone does want to get into it that, that'd be where they'd start yeah that's the way to go cheap but fun a lot of my uh a lot of my previous episodes when, when i bring on other pharmacists and healthcare professionals uh i like to dive deep into day-to-day and what it's like because you know obviously we know that being a race car driver you race cars but mm-hmm. um i wanted to see what the what is it like outside of the car day-to-day you know in your profession what is it that you're doing yeah you know driving the car is honestly less than one percent of what we do um you can't really practice in our sport because it's just way too expensive, even at the pro level. And there's limits from the series on practice days throughout a year. So 99% of what we do is just networking. It's calling people, trying to structure deals. When this sport, with how expensive it is, you also have to be quite creative with structuring B2B deals. So you look at maybe people you know higher up in companies and you talk to them, understand what their challenges are, and then you can try to leverage the motorsport world and find maybe somebody else that's involved that may be able to help this person solve a problem and then you get a revenue share deal out of it or something like that. And mm-hmm. that's how you create sponsorship stuff. So, you know, I would imagine what we do is very similar to an entrepreneur starting his own company. We're looking after our brand. We're trying to structure deals and networking all the time. So a big push that I'm having right now is for is for pharmacists to start realizing that, you know, we need to start building our own personal brands up and we need to start building our own skills and, and doing things, you know, outside of our, you know, normal day-to-day clinical practices uh, to be able to, to advance in, in our career. And it does seem like you guys have to do a lot of a lot of the similar things. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's you know I look at all your social media posts and and it's something that's quite interesting. I think the whole world, I think everything is moving to where you can't just not care about what your brand or identity is online, offline. You know, you can't. Most people coming up in our generation don't want to go work for the same company for 30 years. You're looking for how you can you leverage and what can you do to expand your horizons. And I don't think it matters what industry you're in. You know, I'm talking to my girlfriend now a lot about her search for a new job and the similarities between what you guys do with building your brand, what I have to do to build my brand, what her as a mechanical engineer has to do to build her brand. I think it's all very similar challenges. And I think no matter what industry you're in, no matter what you're doing, that's going to be such a key factor over the next 20, 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I can definitely see that in in every, you know, in every profession, especially with our generation and especially where where things are are moving, uh, especially with advances in technology and all that stuff too. It's, it's more important now than ever to, you know, to set yourself apart to combat this technology. Yeah, you definitely have to. I mean, the, Ability to have uh, education and all of that is so easy to access now. So it's what else can you do to separate yourself, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So cr- something crazy that you did, which is, which is, you know, I used to watch a lot of TED Talks back in my day, but you actually had, you know, the opportunity to give your own TED Talk. Tell us, what, what was that experience like? 
That was one of the strangest things ever. I went the year before, one of our fraternity brothers invited me last second to the TED Talk at FIU, and I went and I thought this was awesome. It'd be fun experience just to give it a try. Yeah. And I happened to be scrolling through Twitter and I saw the application up. So I said, ah, let me just let me just apply. What's the worst that can happen? And yeah. so it was, let's say, I think it was February I applied, and it was mid-May, and I hadn't heard anything. So I had forgotten about it. And all of a sudden, I got an email. And they're like, "Congratulations, you're chosen." <laughs> and my first thing was like, "Oh no, this is so <laughs> so horrible idea. horrible idea. <laughs> Why did I do this?" That's so funny. I was like, "Oh man, I don't even like what. What am I going to talk about? Who the hell? I've got nothing special. I'm not curing cancer. I'm not yeah. doing anything incredible." Um, so then I had to figure out what what am I going to talk about? What do I have that's unique? And you know, the first speech that I kind of wrote up completely changed by the time I got to the time I was actually going to speak. Yeah. And what's cool is they really, you know, every TED Talk has people there that they bring in to really help with you. So at FIU, they had all of the public speaking uh, professors work with us. And in the midst of this, I was traveling home to South Africa. So I didn't actually get a lot of the education that I should have gotten. Yeah. Um, so the whole experience was incredible. You get really close with the whole group of people that you're speaking with. And they're all incredible, super intellectual people. So you learn a lot. You become a lot. You really broaden your horizons on what it's like to speak. For instance, we only did one real uh, practice, which was the night before in the stadium. And I got to say, it was way more intimidating to talk to an empty stadium than when it was full. I have no clue why. But talking to the empty stadium, I was like, man, this thing feels huge. And the night of, it didn't feel that big anymore. Yeah. Um, But it was pretty incredible. I think the only somewhat disappointing thing that I didn't know about going in is you actually don't get to name your own speech. And when they publish it, they name it for you. So if you look online on YouTube for my TEDx talk, I think it's got the wrong name. I think they named it like how to become a race car driver. Gotcha. When I didn't really talk about mm. how you become one, I talked about the challenges of my career. So I, I wish that could be changed a little bit, but yeah. the whole experience was pretty incredible. What's unfortunate about that is uh, that sounds like one of those, you know, they were trying to get as many, you know, clicks into it, you know, kind of yeah. thing. Which yeah, it's unf- clickbait at that yeah, point, right? Yeah. And, and it, yeah. people come in with the wrong idea of what the talk is supposed to be about. Yeah. 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 That's, but, see, and that's, that's rough because like a lot of the things and a lot of the things I like to do with my own content is control. I, I like to control all of it. And, and, and it's great to have that ability to, because my goal is to provide value, you know, to, to, to people that are either reading uh, what I'm putting out or listening to it. And I wanted to make that as, as accurate as possible sometimes without having the clickbaity, you know, title. Yeah. So that, that is definitely unfortunate, but I wanted to um, just go back. So they have like workshops that they kind of like you, like you sit with other professionals, professional speakers and things like that. They, they like walk yeah. you through things. Yeah, exactly. So I think we were selected and this is now what almost four or five years ago, I think. So I'm trying to remember exactly the timeline, but I think it was about mid May that you're selected and the talk was only in early November. Hmm. So there is supposed to be, I think five or six workshops that you go in individually. It's not really as a group, but you go in and you have three or four, I think it was three or four professors. You had the main organizing lady and then we worked with two other professors. And you walked in, they said, you come in and you just talk. 
give us your speech. And the way you apply is you have a five minute YouTube clip, essentially talk about what you think you should want to talk about. Gotcha. So you give your speech, they say, okay, thanks. Bye. And they'll give you any feedback there. They then <laughs> kind of write some stuff down for you and then email you. And then they give you some notes and they give you, okay, you're a little over this part of the speech. Didn't really make sense. It didn't really flow. I think what you really need to pick up on is like this section of it. That's what gets people interested. Um, for me, what they are interested in is the human side of it, you know, letting people in on your feelings, your thoughts, and and understanding what was really going on better, where some people are talking more about, you know, mathematics or something like that. Yeah. Um, so every person's going to be very different. And then they also seem to have a structure of the type of guests they want. There's almost always going to be like an ocean biography person. There's going to be one person talk about challenges. There's one social justice person. And so each person has almost like a, uh, a structure of how their speech should go. Yeah. And so I think I ended up going in only two times to work with the speech people in person where everyone else probably went in four or five times. And every time this, the speech just changed and changed, even the night before, one of our guys ended up being one of the best speakers, was a very nervous person, didn't really have much confidence, but he was a great speaker. And his speech almost drastically changed the night before the speech, yeah. uh, but he nailed it the night of. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot that goes into it, and they do a good job really educating their speakers. And I think that's what has made their content become such a fantastic thing. There's so many great ideas put out there, but how they're able to communicate them is what makes it special, I think. Yeah, yeah. I did watch your your um your TED talk obviously when it came out but but you know I rewatched it just to see you know if now that I'm I'm a couple years into my career and and seeing how we could relate and one thing that really stuck out to me which was interesting was you had said you know uh, you were talking about how you were working out to prepare for you know a big event coming up uh, for a big uh, race coming up and you know you you mentioned that you don't know why people ask you why you work out because you all you do is turn a wheel which <laughs> Which was which stuck out so much to me because as a pharmacist, we go through so much training in school. Like a lot of us has done a minimum of six, sometimes eight to 12 years of schooling um, or training to become a clinician, uh, like a drug specialist. Mm -hmm. And most people just look at a pharmacist and say, oh, they just count pills like that's all you do, you know, and, and it's so much more. So can you tell us how how, you know, what that is like for you as, as a professional? I can't believe that people think about that with pharmacists. I mean, it's it's such a you, like you said. I don't know how you guys go through twelve years of school and and put up with that, but it's impressive. It, in racing, it's it's not like you can just go experience it you know, with a football or basketball. You can buy it what thirty forty bucks. You go get your friends together. You can play it, and you realize how difficult it is to be an Antonio Brown or a LeBron James. You know, people can really go out and play it. In racing, it's a lot more difficult to do that. So the only connection someone has is just driving their streetcar. Well, driving a streetcar is easy, right? There's yeah. nothing nothing to it, but yet people still somehow suck at it. I don't understand how that's possible, but yeah. they do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the environment in a race car is something that's completely different than your street car. The environment in a race car is, is a violent place. It's raw. Your drive shaft is coming right next to you. So often it's 150, 155 degrees within a race car. Wow. Your G forces are a lot higher as well. You know, it's closer to, you know, someone in NASA that trains for G forces. So the entire environment is something that's so drastically different 
that how do you show or get somebody to understand that without experience in it? And that's one of the issues that I've always thought about with racing and why it's not a as mainstream of a sport and why there's a lot more quote unquote haters for the sport is because we haven't done a good job at really connecting with people and getting them to realize or understand or feel what it's like to be within that environment. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely does. It's very similar to where in pharmacy, people don't really know what is going on back there. And it's a very similar thing. Like you, you know, there's a crazy relation there. Actually, you, you can think, you know what a pharmacist is doing, but unless you're actually a pharmacist and behind the counter and seeing the, the craziness that like happens, uh, especially in a community setting, uh, because that's what I have the most experience with. It, it's completely different and you literally have no idea what it's like. Um, there's nothing that compares, but yet, you know, people still make judgments on, on what that, what that profession is like. And it's crazy because, you know, at times we feel like we are, we're driving a, a race car and sometimes a tire falls off like at the pharmacy. <laughs> like that's, that's some crazy stuff that happens. But I wanted to move into like what you're, what, you know, you, what goes through your mind in a, in a while you're driving, because I watch, you have some amazing uh, YouTube videos online that I'll post a link in the show notes to um, about how you go through your, what you're, what you're thinking about as you're going through different turns through a race and I started thinking like, man, this is so similar to pharmacy because when we're at, when at, in the community setting, one of our main goals and like the biggest thing that we do is making sure that a patient is safely getting a drug um, mm-hmm. that, we're, and we're looking at a computer system We're we're double checking to make sure that there's no interaction with that drug. It's safe for them. And it matches the prescription. Like they're not getting the wrong drug. Mm-hmm. That's like our real main focus. But at the same time, there's thousands of other things happening. People coming in for questions, phone calls ringing. There's a doctor wanting to call in a prescription. The technician on here has a problem they need help with. Or there's and it's so all many, urgent. Yeah, and it's all urgent. But you still have to focus here. But then quickly maybe take your mind off of it for one second, do something else, come back. And I found some very crazy similarities there. So can you like let us know how, how, uh, how that goes I for mean, you? That's so interesting, especially because, you know, with us, it's typically our lives at stake. But when you guys are dealing with it, it's somebody else's life that's really at stake. So there's a lot more pressure involved in that environment. And it's when you say that, it really clicks. You know, I was my family's in South Africa. They just moved back there again. And one difference there with how pharmacies work is almost everything's behind the counter. You know, we're here. A lot of drugs that you can get for day to day stuff. You can just go and purchase yourself. So when you go to the person and say, hey, I've got this, they are immediately know what to give you. You know, it just clicks right in the brain right away. And it's so impressive how fast it happens. Yeah. And they just, boom, here you go. And that's exactly when you mentioned that. That's the first thing I thought of. And you're like, man, that's so right. There's so many actual comparisons that can be made there. And, you know, in the race car, especially in sports cars where we have different classes of cars, different speeds of cars racing amongst each other all at once so that same thing where you're now racing against somebody with the same speed in the same class you're looking in your mirrors your surroundings knowing where those other cars are what the closing speeds are they're able to break deeper or earlier than you you have to know your brake zone your apex speed what the fuel load is and anticipate that with the you know how long into the tire life you're in anticipate the level of grip you've got and then you're also communicating with your engineers to tell them hey, the car is doing X, and then maybe giving them a suggestion on a mechanical change to help that. Because everything in racing, you know, 
so we did a 24-hour race. The Rolex at Daytona, 24 hours. We raced for 24 hours. It's like a relay race with four drivers. Yeah. When we won, our margin of victory was 3.4 seconds. After 24 hours of racing, you win by three and a half seconds. So it gives you the idea of how close. You we're talking about thousands of seconds. So when we're talking about changes, we're talking about, you know, millimeters of ride height or a PSI and tire pressure or, you know, spring changes. There's so many things that go into it. And that's why the engineers also have a ton going on with race strategy, uh, setup of the car, the next tires that are going to go on the car. There's everyone in the sport has so much going on that you definitely have to have that mental capacity to be able to handle it all, be able to suck it all in and then figure out, okay, what needs my attention right now? Where my focus is, and then one to talk and one to separate things. Yeah, one 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 other cool thing I saw when I was watching one of your uh, one of your race videos. So by the way, if, if you if you like his race videos, go watch one. Even if you you don't care <laughs> about like like race car driving, go watch one of these videos. It's super cool. It's him, it's like it's, you're in the car. You're you are in <laughs> the freaking race car driving, and yeah. it's him going through uh, you know breakdowns of all the decisions being made. One one of them that stuck out to me, which I would have never even thought to do, was I remember you you were describing coming into a turn and you used landmarks because obviously you know I'm sure you guys study the track. You mm-hmm. used a specific landmark to let you decide of when you were going to do something else. And I was like, Absolutely. man, that's crazy because I feel like as a pharmacist, we're checking you know hundreds, if not thousands, of drugs possibly a day. You know, we're reading these and making wow. sure things. But sometimes there's we some things trigger something, and like we look for these landmarks. For example, a landmark in my that comes to mind quickly is a medication like Synthroid. It's it's a it's a hormone medication for people. Where if we see a prescription for that come in, you can get two different types of Synthroids. You can get the brand name or the generic, and these specifically, usually brands and generics are usually okay and they're interchangeable. But for some some medications, especially Synthroid. If you've been getting the brand the whole time, you can't just get the generic. You have to get the brand. So it hmm. usually triggers something in our minds to double check something or to take some other action. And it's kind of like a landmark, you know, in, in a decision making process for us. So, um, Interesting. yeah, that's re- yeah. I mean, there's definitely a synergy there, you know, on a racetrack that when you come into a break zone, especially because we're not doing oval stuff, we'll turn left and right and there's some corners that have beautiful brake markers, you're 200 meters out, 300 meters out, and you kind of lap after lap need to be consistent. So you find your spot. So you say, okay, this is where I need to apply the brake at this pressure and then start releasing it. But then there's some corners that don't have that. So you rely purely on depth perception as well. Yeah. Um, so it really depends on the style of corner. But then you also have the same type of landmarks, for instance, our race cars have almost like a computer dash system behind the screen and you have multiple pages, five, six pages. And, you know, we can live look at our tire pressures and temps while we're driving. So a landmark that could be similar would be when our tire pressures get to, you know, 1.95 bar, I now know they're overheating. I'm going to have less rear grip or less front grip or something like that. So you keep that in your mind and that's going to change the style of driving that you've got a little bit to be adapting to that level of grip. That's crazy. I had no idea you had like that amount of information at your fingertips in the car. I thought that was, I thought, and that, see, and that is, that is, you know, on my part, that is me assuming that like all you were doing was just like driving and racing stuff and people were talking to you, but you're, you're looking (laughs) at all this stuff in the car. Yeah. So it's, it's the total unknown, right? So we have five screens to be quite honest, two or three of the screens. 
I typically don't use. It's more for the mechanics that if we have a problem, they say, go here, tell us this number. But they also typically have live telemetry. So everything's streaming off the car and they can look up everything from the pits while yeah. we're on track. But sometimes I need to look at them. But so the first page that we typically use is, you know, RPM, gear, speed. Um, it'll have segment times of the lap. So it'll split a lap into three or four sections. And it'll tell me if I'm slower or faster uh, during it. So I kind of can anticipate my lap time. There's one screen with all the tire pressures, tire temps. There's ABS and traction control. Both of those have 11 settings on them. So if it's wet or dry or slicker or colder, you can change the settings of the ABS or traction control as well. Um, so you're, you're definitely flipping around quite a bit. And some races you do a lot more than others. Some races you kind of find your TC and ABS setting. And you could just focus in. And then there's other races that you're kind of playing with stuff and figuring things out. Wow. That is, that is insane. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely fun when you get back and you debrief. And I can tell you one thing compared to some levels of racing, what we do is very easy. When the new hybrid electronic um, capabilities in cars, some of these have an engineer for the, the mechanical chassis, an engineer for one of the hybrid system, an engineer for the combustion engine system. And you have to go know who to debrief with, know who to talk with about each of the problems you're having. And they go out, work themselves, and then have a lead person that they all correspond to and work on the car together. So depending on the level of racing you're at, the even more complex it can really get. Yeah. I I saw recently, um, a couple years ago, it was kind of a little off topic, that they had like a a fully, a full uh, electronic racing, um, like electric car racing league. Yeah. Do you see that as like the future? I do. Um, you know, for sure, as when it comes to streetcars, electric is the future, um, at least in our immediate future. Uh, to be honest, the racing is weird. There's something about, and I'm going to sound super old school. I love technology. I love all of that. But there's something about loud engines, the vibrations, and, you know, just big monster cars that go really fast that get your blood going. Yeah. The electric cars you can have a conversation like us while the race is going on and it's just, it's strange. It's, yeah. it's not quite the same. So there's something that's missing from it. Gotcha. Um, the technology is cool. The racing, the teams are amazing. It's actually probably the only place where technology is going from the race car back into the street car. Uh, it's almost flip flopped in most places where technology from street cars are going to race cars. So it's a bit backwards, yeah. but there they've got it right. It's just, it's missing a little something right now, to what be about, honest. What about this? What about if you, like, because I'm just, for me, because I see some of the, there's, like, really big race leagues that it's, like, stock cars racing. Like, I remember you used to race a GTI at some point, and I yeah. think it was, like, almost stock or something like that. But, like, I can just picture a, a Tesla being in yep. there, like, giving you guys a run and stuff. But the missing thing is, what if they just had, like aud- like, audio engineers somehow, like, connected RPMs with, like, the sound of, like, a race car? And They've then, talked about it. They've absolutely talked about putting like somehow putting speakers on the car to make it louder. They haven't done it yet. I, I don't know if they'll ever do it or not. Yeah. But maybe, you know, it, quite honestly, it might just take time for us to adjust a, away from the noise. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's such a tough thing. You know, it, I don't know what they're going to do. They, they, they've had the conversation. I just worry, okay, now what does the weight do? And if it's not genuine, will it have the same effect or not? 
Yeah. And I think the well, genuine noise is that really makes it. I feel like that's when you, you know, you have to have, you can't just have Joe Schmo, like the audio guy. Like you got to get like yeah. a professional audio dude. You could even decide like, no, you know what? I want to have a, a Ferrari today. Oh, that's what I want to drive. That Same car, cool. but your sounds would be, you know, tailored to you and whatever you feel like, you know, you're in the mood for. So that would be cool. I sound believe it or not, does play a big role in motorsports. I'll never forget, my, my favorite sounding engine was in a what we call Prototype, which is a special built uh, race car. And it had a V12 Aston Martin engine. And that thing had the most beautiful scream to yeah. it. It wasn't too high a pitch. It was just the right pitch. And I could tell you, fans to this day couldn't care less about what the car looked like. It, people talk about what it sounded like, and yeah. it was so special. And you know, people talk about Formula One back in the you know now they're at, at a six-cylinder engine. They miss the old twelve-cylinder engine, so it does play a part. So I I wouldn't be surprised if there's maybe an, an opportunity for a, a proper real sound person to find something cool there. Yeah, yeah. And um, all right, let's get back. Let's get back here. <laughs> I wanted to see what the where healthcare fits into into a race car driver's life. Like what. What relationships do you have? Is there healthcare providers on your team? Uh, how often are you guys seeing them? It, you know, it, just not in general health, but just relating to yeah. something from driving. Um, what What is your relationships like with with healthcare? Yeah, so I mean, typically to get a license, you obviously have to go do your maybe not normal physical, but somewhat normal physical, um, and then. This is an area that's starting to get focused on more and more. And I think it isn't as big of a focus as it needs to be. But a lot of teams are starting to have their drivers wear heart rate monitors. Um, they're starting to get specific information on their sweat, what type of, uh, I guess, vitamins and stuff they're releasing so they know what to take in between stints. Um one of the big focal points is a lot is going to be nutrition as well, especially in between since the 24 hour. Um, and then also, you know, before the big races, we do IVs. So what can a healthcare professional provide to us that's going to be able to enhance our physical abilities our mental, especially mental ability within the race car um, and, and kind of what supplements are out there. And that's where the healthcare professionals are starting to really intermix with the racing side of stuff, it's more on the performance enhance, not enhancing because we're not taking steroids. We're not taking like any optimizing. Illegals. Yeah, optimizing. Yeah. Thank you. That's a much better word. Like one substance that I know about, for instance, is a little bit about is beta alanine, and that's one of the things that's very well talked about in racing. And people, a lot of people, take that and caffeine and you know those type of supplements yeah. to try to optimize performance, but where that right mix is and how much is too much, where before, what to eat, where the heart rate should be, and then how to apply the physical side of stuff to be optimized in the race car. Because the best thing you could do physically for us is to drive a race car, but we can't always do that. So then knowing how to take care of the body and all of that to be in that optimum spot to perform once you're in the car. So Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And who's on the team now that's, that's responsible for that? So it depends on which team you're on. Um, So there's a training camp that I actually have been to a few times in Italy called Formula Medicine. And they often, when you go there, have an outside doctor that comes in and gives you ultrasounds, everything, gives you a full complex report on how your body is. And there's two doctors that will come to the big races uh, from this third party and they'll work with select teams. 
Uh, they work with some Formula One teams. They work with some of our teams, and they'll be the ones there making sure that you've got the right stuff, looking at your heart rates, knowing how long you've driven, knowing how long until your next stint. So they're trying to take care of you in between stints and make sure that if you're getting enough sleep, if you need a massage, if you need IVs, whatever you need, they're there. They're taking yeah. care of it. Now, would you say that it would be worthwhile for a, a team to have one of these professionals like full time? Is that something that you see would be, or maybe, or would it, is it something that probably full time would just would not would not work because it would be like not enough things for them to do, or just be a consultant? Or I'm basically trying to get at like if I'm if I love and I'm super passionate about driving or race cars, mm-hmm. but I'm a pharmacist and I'm, I've made it to this far and I know I'm not going to be in a car driving, and my yeah. next best option would be to possibly start diving into what that nutrition area is like, what, how to optimize that performance, you know, obviously <laughs> legally. Yeah. Would, would that be, I'm trying to see if it, if it would be prudent for a, a pharmacist to pursue something like that in hopes to, you know, be working with a team one day, um, consulting for a team one day, um, see Absolutely. what those opportunities are like. So I would say there's definitely a spot for that. And where I see the initial place is actually more in NASCAR. The reason why I say that is because the budgets are bigger, right? So yeah. they're able to spend more money. They're able to hire more people. There, there's probably, I would I would imagine, every team has maybe not a full-time staff person, but a consultant, quote-unquote, full-time at every race. Because there, they also have their crew guys, which are all ex-athletes, ex-NFL, ex-college football. They're training at, they have facilities not only to work on the race car, but to go and work out as well. So for sure, a healthcare professional looking after what they're doing, making sure they're all in good health, making sure they're all optimizing what they need to do to perform, as well as the driver, there's absolutely a role for that. So in, go ahead. Sorry. 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 No, go ahead. In, go ahead. in sports cars, the budgets are growing. The, the prestige of everything is growing, but it's not to NASCAR level. So I would say at the top teams – for our big endurance races, so the we have we have races ranging from two hours and forty five minutes, which are just two drivers relay, to twenty four hours, where there's three or four drivers, but the same crew are working all twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. So the top teams at sports cars for those big races, the twenty four hours at Daytona, the twelve hours of Sebring, six hours of Watkins Glen, ten hours with Petit Le Mans, there's absolutely a need and want for a healthcare professional helping the crew, the drivers, the engineers, the race strategists, everybody perform. During the two hour, 45 minute races, maybe less so there, but some of the teams will still have them. Yeah. So interesting. You mentioned, you know, the, the team that you have, uh, you know, not in the car, they're mm-hmm. like ex athletes and things like that. Why, why do they have to be so jacked? Like why, why are they all athletic? <laughs> So it's it's actually pretty impressive what they're able to do in a pit stop. So you'll have you know what we call the guns, which is the wheel take the wheels on and off. Um, there'll be two guns. Most of these guys grab the wheel with the tire, one arm, pick it up, run it around the car, take the wheel off, throw it around, jam it on, and wheel nut it back on. And they're doing this in 18, 16 seconds, all four wheels. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a lot of weight. I mean, we. The team spend money and the manufacturers spend money to make the wheels as light as possible. But those things are still heavy. Like I still need two hands to pick them up. And those guys are jabbing (laughs) them off the wall, one arm, sprinting around. And everything is – if we're talking about we're winning a race after 24 hours by 3.4 seconds, 
you're talking about losing a second on pit lane because someone's a little too slow, oh that's God. a lot of time yeah. right there. So everything you do is is optimized. The people that they're hiring, everything is is to the T to find the best professionals that are focused, that are, you know, even just to get the wheel gun perfectly on the wheel nut the first time and get it off smoothly. If you miss it by a little bit and you have to re-go on, that's a half second right there. Yeah. So it adds up really quick. Wow. Especially when you're doing you know, 24 hour race, they're probably doing 30 pit stops, 28 pit stops. So they're not really sleeping much. They probably get 30 minutes of sleep somewhat in between stops. Some aren't sleep. Our engineers don't sleep at all. Our race strategy just doesn't sleep at all. So to be able to perform after all of that, it's, I don't even know how they do it. Yeah. That is, I mean, my mind is fairly blown, <laughs> I will say, because I, I sleep like a baby in between stints. <laughs> I could not stay up all 24 hours. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> no, that, that's pretty intense. I would have never, I mean, I see them, you know, whenever I've, I've actually watched any races, I see them moving around, but never did I really think that they need to be at, you know, trained. I'm yeah. assuming they're trained probably like pro athletes are. Absolutely. They yeah. hire, there's definitely, especially for NASCAR, they've hired physical trainers. They have to, I think they train, they definitely train every day with the physical trainer, strength, cardio, all of that type of stuff. Definitely, yeah. it's going to be more of an explosive style of training because the pit stops there are, you know, I think 15 seconds and they do five a race. So it's less cardio, but they just need to be all around fit and healthy. And they're, you got to be able to dodge cars, especially NASCAR where there's 40 cars stopping at once and the pit boxes are small. So yeah. there's a lot going on. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's that is crazy. But uh, what what about what questions? You know, I feel like I've asked you a ton of questions here, and and I got to learn a lot about what what it is that you're doing uh, in and out of the car and in, in the professional world and and what you're doing. What do you have any questions for me? Anything that I can? Yeah, for I mean, you? I would say from your experience in your professional, if you had if you were working on our team mm-hmm. and you were trying to say, I want to try be able to help them optimize to be ready to go, performing healthy as possible. What basic or what what things would you be recommending initially off the top of your mind for us to be looking at or, or trying to make sure we're doing? Yeah. So there's a lot of supplements out there mm-hmm. um, that can be used for like, because I'm not sure exactly what the goals are. So if it's hydration, that's one yep. thing versus if it's like mental focus, that's like another so my, but my biggest thing just in general, not knowing exactly what would be there would just be the importance of hydration because yeah. I'm assuming that you, cause you, you did say it's super hot. You're stressed yeah. out. You, you know, you're, you're basically working out inside the car also. Mm-hmm. So making sure that hydration is like at the number one, you know, key, I think is, is what would be, what would be there. I'm not sure, you know, in terms of, you know, they saying that you guys take like caffeine pills and things like that. It's hard for me to see like the the bigger a bigger role than that because i feel like the amount of adrenaline that's already rushing through your guys system at a time it's i don't know how much more focused you can be probably yep. you know so and that's just off my initial that's just not so knowing I, anything about it <laughs> what i would say is for sure there's definitely adrenaline but those i can tell you one thing we've you know drivers we all talk especially so it's a 24 hour when you have to wake up for that 3 a.m. stint and it's like a 3 to 5 a.m. 3 to 6 a.m. stint Man, do we? That's the one time in racing where you're ready to get in the car. It's cold. You're tired, and you're like, "Why are we doing this? This is just this is dumb. <laughs> yeah. This is dumb." But then you get in the car, and it's awesome. You're like, "This is the coolest freaking thing ever!" It's three fifteen in the morning. I'm driving a race car 180 miles an hour. Yeah. So for sure, it's that you. you the reason why I think a lot of us 
do try to take supplements is you feel so tired before you're in the car that you don't realize by the time you're running around to do a driver change and in the car, you're ready to go. Yeah. So you, you, you shed that tiredness quickly, but you're always in the back of your mind worried about, man, am I tired? Am I going to be mentally there enough to really push, push, push the, the every stint? Yeah. Um, so that's definitely what the main reason I would say people take it. So yeah. the other question I would have is, do you have any just crazy for someone that's not that's not knowledgeable in the pharmacy world a crazy story from your first year in pharmacy that was you just never thought that you would be in this situation or anything like that uh, that just blew your mind yeah one thing that um one crazy thing that happened to me once was there was a um i, I, I saw this family walk in to the pharmacy and uh they were they were homeless and they, you can clearly tell that they were homeless. Like it was just a little apparent and they, ha- they were not from here because they had like a Southern accent, things like that. And they're like, they just walk in like, Hey, we need help. And I'm just like, like, okay, like, what do you need help <laughs> Where's about? This going? Like, I hope it's like a simple allergy question, you know, like <laughs> that I can help you out with. This guy shows me his arm and he, I can see bone because he got like, he, he got, he didn't get stabbed. He got like someone almost borderline tried to cut his arm off. It looked like, <laughs> and he had like the biggest open. It was the most like open gash I've ever seen. Not on t- like not on TV or like on the internet. And in my mind, I was like, "Holy crap! Like, what <laughs> am I even gonna do with this?" Like, so you came to the pharmacy. He to came to the this. pharmacy. Which, but the thing is, is that the craziest thing about this is that like most the pharmacist is the most accessible healthcare professional. A lot yeah, of people absolutely. come to us and start with us, especially if you're homeless or you have issues with um, finances and things like that. So this I mean, this was one of the craziest, but like a lot of a lot of these types of things happen all the time. Um, but uh, but he came in and he's like, we like, I don't know what to do. It's open. And and then I was like, I couldn't help but like ask, like, what happened? You know, like <laughs> what happened here? And it was the craziest story. Like, you know, they had gotten like someone had literally like someone had gotten abused at some point. Someone tried to rape someone's sister and then like what? they fought. And then, the, yeah, it was it was insane. It was it was crazy. And like and then this whole time, I'm just thinking like I don't even have. Like my band-aids are not going to work here right now, you know, like, so we, <laughs> we give you a little T-Rex band. Yeah. So I'm like, guys, you have to go to the hospital. Like we, I, I help, I put on, but I put on gloves. Oh, we have yeah. gloves, you know, for flu shots. I put on gloves. We went to the bathroom. I helped him clean it to make sure that like, you know, try to prevent it from getting infected. I gave him some other bandages from like over the counter. And I basically like, guys, you really have to go to the hospital. You can't just leave this open. Like you have to probably get like a tetanus shot and like a bunch of other things like need to be done to make sure you possibly don't have your arm get infected and lose your arm. And, and oh, never, my mind is blown. Yeah. And then like, I was like, yeah. what is, gonna, what is this career going to be like? <laughs> you know, like, but what did I just sign myself yeah. up to? But it's um, funny, we joke amongst ourselves. We have, you know, we're lucky enough to have fans, right? But there's some people that are just very unique that we joke around about some weird circumstances, just weird people that we've gotten into. None of our stories have ever lived up to that. I think yeah. you guys have to deal with a whole different level of people. That is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's crazy. I have another, another really, really, this is super interesting. And I love this girl like so much. And I think she's also, I don't know if she's homeless per se, but you can tell, um, she has some like socioeconomic issues, but she, and I see her walk by the pharmacy all the time, but there would be sometimes she'd come in and uh, she definitely has like a mental health issue, but she'll come in screaming like, 
I, I hate dimes. I hate dimes. I need two nickels. If she ever finds a dime, she comes in screaming. And like, and it's funny because the way our, our pharmacy, the way my current pharmacy is set up, I can see outside. So if I even see her coming close to me, I am sprinting because she loses her mind a little bit. And then like she comes back when she gets her two nickels and like she's a little normal. We have a little conversation and she walks out like that's it. Nothing ever happened. Like nothing ever happened. But if she ever has a dime, she will come in and we have to like I sprint because I sprint to the register to get two nickels out to give to her because for some reason she hates dimes. But that is Wow. These are I the, thought you were going to say you were sprinting to like to call the doctor or talk to somebody no. else. But wow. All she needs is two man. nickels, man. All you need. You know what? That's, is life really that difficult? You know, like, <laughs> exactly. we're all wanting these big things and all she needs in life is two nickels she and she's happy. Is two nickels. <laughs> yeah, but those, oh, wow. those are those are things that pharmacists get to deal with like day to day beyond, you know, everything beyond checking the prescriptions and taking doctor uh, calls. We have because, again, being so accessible, there's. Every and all types of people come up to us with any and all types of problems. So it's pretty crazy. I tell you what, those stories, if you if you really put those out there, that those would go viral. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never would have thought that. <laughs> well, yeah, man. Oh, I mean, man. It, it's both of them are, are, are crazy worlds, to say the least. <laughs> Absolutely. But they're enjoyable. Yeah. That's for sure. Right. So we'll, we'll get you out to a racetrack sometime and uh, we've got to get you in a race car. Yeah. Hey, yo, if that happens, Mike, man, that is going to be the best day of my life. If yeah, I can we're going to figure out a way to make it happen. <laughs> All right, man. That sounds good. Hey, <laughs> Dion, thank you so much for uh, for joining us on the show here. I really appreciate it. What's the best way that uh, that people can get in touch with you if they want to continue the conversation? Well, first off, thanks for having me on. This has been a lot of fun to catch up again. It's been been way too long. I'm a big fan of the show as well. Uh, can't wait to continue to listen to it for years to come. Thank you. Best way to reach me is probably, to be honest with you, Twitter, social media. I'm at DionVMR on Twitter. Uh, I have a website as well, uh, DionVM.com. Uh, both of those are you know, always available. Um, and I've got a fun little project coming out with the new company involved with those videos you spoke about on YouTube as well. So I'll, I'll be releasing that information on some social media sites and on my website in the coming days. And, uh, I'm always available if I'm the one using my own social media nobody runs those for me. So if you message me, I'm, I'm always going to respond and I try to respond to everybody. Awesome. Well, I'll put that, that information in the show notes again. Thank you so much for being on. Yeah. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. I really hope you guys enjoyed that interview. I hope it was as insightful to you as it was to me. Please leave me a comment on Instagram or on iTunes. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Any feedback is going to be greatly appreciated. And don't forget to subscribe. And until next time, see you over the counter. Pharmacy.